It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 24th of May 2022, to Tuesday. It is Tuesday. Welcome to Tuesday. I'm Derek Hunter. I am your host. I hope you're doing well, and I hope you're doing well and in, in, in a good luck mood. So you go over to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast, you got the chance to win one or two autographed books. That's right. It's a twofer over there on one side. You got to pick it. It is Hate Crime Hoax by Wilford Riley versus The Case for Nationalism by Rich Lowry and A Time to Rebuild by Yuval Levin. All very smart people. It's a brain off. Who do you like best? Just join, comment, and sit back and reap the rewards. Wait for your name to be drawn by one of my kids. So check it out. Five bucks a month. Get you extra episodes. Get you uh, all kinds of stuff. So check it out pictures of my kids thanks for the nice comments about quinn's birthday photographs those is very cool it's still weird having a five-year-old anyway let's enough about this the housekeeping involved in this program let's get on with the show there is a lot going on in the world as always because it never stops and joe biden is God, it is amazing to me how the president of the United States can find new and creative ways to embarrass the country. The uh, I told you, the president was going over to Asia and he was going to embarrass the country because that's what he does. It, it, he doesn't have to. It's not because he went to Asia. It's because he's Joe Biden. It's because he's senile and because he's stupid. But he has uh, already done it. He went to, he's in Japan and at a press conference there, he was asked about Taiwan. Obviously, they care a lot more about the Chinese, the pending Chinese invasion of Taiwan than we do. We don't want it. Nobody wants it. It's not a good thing. Don't recommend that China invade Taiwan. But over there, they'd be more immediately and directly impacted by it. Their economies are much more intertwined, although ours are plenty intertwined as well. So... He was asked about this. And what you're about to hear in this clip is the president of the United States essentially ceding our foreign policy to China. Tells him what we're going to do, which is a big no-no. And when you get a question like this, you're supposed to say, oh, I'm not going to answer a hypothetical question. We stand with our, our allies in Taiwan. We support the one. They support the one China. Policy. It's so stupid. International relations are so wildly stupid. I don't. Most people don't know this because most Americans don't pay attention to international relations. And you really shouldn't to the extent that you can afford to not pay attention to it. I recommend you don't. But it's so stu I had a joke. When I was at the Heritage Foundation, I had it before then. It tells you kind of how nerdy I was on occasion about politics. Where somebody, a friend, would like tick me off. Or somebody would not even really tick me off. They would ask me to do something or whatever. And I would just say, I refuse to recognize you as a government. 
And it's stupid. It's not particularly funny. But I thought it was clever. And that's how international relations work. Well, they're not refu- they're not um, recognizing this government yet. It, it exists. You don't need to recognize. It's so stupid. The kabuki theater that they do. Everybody, every government the United States refuses to recognize exists. And we have interactions with them behind the scenes through other channels. Like, well, we do it through a proxy and we do it this way. And, we do it. and it's all different. And the second you recognize a government... And suddenly everything changes. For the longest time, we had our embassy, I think it was in Tel Aviv in Israel, right? Tel, well, the, the capital of Israel is Jerusalem. But we pretended that it wasn't. We pretended that Tel Aviv kind of was. And so what we did was we'd have our... It, it's wildly inconvenient because the seat of government is in Jerusalem, but uh, we had satellite offices in Jerusalem, which was really where the action was. But we officially said that, no, we're in Tel Aviv. It's so stupid. Then Donald Trump changed that, and the left was like, oh, my God, this is going to cause all sorts of problems, even though president after president of both parties said, we're going to change the uh, the embassy to Jerusalem, and they never did. Trump did it, and the world didn't come to an end. But that gives you a, an insight into just how stupid this stuff, the, the people involved in international relations and diplomacy know what they're engaged in is stupid kabuki theater on both sides, on all sides. But they go through the motions anyway. So it gives them the chance to be offended by certain things or to claim victory on other things where a normal human being would look at that and go, Dude, you, didn't, you didn't accomplish anything. This is stupid. What are you excited about? So the... Uh, the idea that the United States has this one China policy is wildly important to China and incredibly stupid at the same time. The idea is just dumb. One China means that the China, mainland China, and Taiwan are all part of one country. But they aren't. China is, compl- China is communist. Taiwan is capitalist. The people in China are oppressed and the people of Taiwan are free. Totally different systems. It goes back to just after World War II when Chiang Kai-shek, who was wildly corrupt, lost control of mainland China and had to retreat to Taiwan as Mao and a small group of people marched through China and took it over. It's just stupid. And ever since then, uh, both have claimed to have complete domain over, over both areas. Neither have had domain over the other area at all. But in the United States, since Richard Nixon, well, actually, even before Richard Nixon, we, this is what's confusing about to people about Asia. It's a lot about saving face, even more so than just general diplomacy. The United States used to recognize Taiwan as China. And for a long time, Taiwan was China in the United Nations. Think about it. China was China wasn't there. Taiwan was Taiwan or Taiwan was China. This little island that controlled nothing on the mainland was treated as though it was all of the mainland. Then Richard Nixon, after he went to China, changed that. He flipped it on its head rather than make a condition of we'll have this summit. I'll go over to China rather than make it a condition that you have to like. Let China, let Taiwan be Taiwan. We just treat you as two countries. The Nixon administration just changed it so that Beijing, the 
mainland China is all of China. And Taiwan doesn't really exist as a separate entity. It's a lie. Everybody knows it. But you end up with things like John Cena, the actor, having to apologize to China in Mandarin because he referred to Taiwan as a country. Everybody knows Taiwan is a separate entity. But it's a power struggle. It's the I refuse to recognize you as a government gambit joke. So we had this policy of one China. We want them to be united. So we'll act like they're united. That's why when Donald Trump was elected and he was taking phone calls from world leaders uh, after he was sworn in, that he took a call from the leader of Taiwan was a, a diplomatic faux pas, as they say. Like, how? How? What? Well, you can't really deal with China and Taiwan that way. You have to do it. So, it was so dumb. But it's how international relations work. It's high school with much higher stakes and big paychecks. So while over there in Japan, Joe Biden was asked today about if China invades Taiwan, what will we do? Now, we have an agreement that we would support Taiwan in every way possible. It's ambiguous. It's deliberately ambiguous. So we can have this sort of kabuki theater back and forth. We're not telling China that we'll go to war with them, but we'll go to war with them. Probably we'll definitely be shipping arms to Taiwan, so on and so forth. You leave wiggle room because you never know the circumstances under which an invasion will happen or the circumstances you'll find yourself in at the time of an invasion of Taiwan. If, if Taiwan is invaded at a really inconvenient time for the United States, we're spread thin like Canada decided to make a move on us or something. We can't uproot everything and then go running over there. So you keep the idea vague of what we'll do. You also want to keep your enemies guessing so that they can't prepare for what you'll do because they don't know. They have to prepare for a whole bunch of things. Well, Joe Biden, being as dumb as he is, decided to pull back the curtain and tell China we would go to war with them if they invaded Taiwan, which means that China then can decide when and where and under the circumstances, the circumstances under which we go to war with them, which is not a good position to be in. Listen to Joe from this morning over in Japan. I didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? That's the commitment we made. That's the commitment we made. That is not the commitment we made. <laughs> and after this idiot said this, the United States White House, the real government, the people behind the scenes, the press shop, the Ron Claims of the world, they kept issuing all sorts of clarifications. Now, the president of the United States is supposed to set the policy, but that's not how it works with Joe Biden. Joe Biden sets the dominoes up and then sneezes on them and knocks them all over and somebody else comes in and cleans it up. They're saying, no, the one China policy still remains in place. And we are maintained. There is no change in policy with China, with regards to China. We are keeping our commitment to arm, to aid Taiwan, to arm them, not go to war, not send in the Marines, but to aid them in 
their own defense, which is totally different than what you just heard the president of the United States there. Now, he is one of the Joe Biden has moments of lucidity. There's no doubt Joe Biden has moments of lucidity. There are other times when Joe Biden isn't there. He's the man who wasn't there. You can see it in his eyes. You can see it in his in the way he carries himself, in his posture. It's just gone sometimes. Everybody knows. Look, anybody at any age can sit there and just get engrossed in thought and you miss what's right in front of you. You're sitting there at a, a lunch or a school or something with a friend and your friend is just, they're gone. Like, whoa, hey, buddy, where are you? Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Usually it's people who are engrossed in thought. They sort of get recoil, not recoil, but sort of retreat back into their own minds. Joe Biden's simply not there because he's not there. Joe Biden, you can see that vacant look in his eye where he's still going through the motions because he's on autopilot and he's been doing this for 60 years, but he is not there. He does not have the capacity to interact like a normal human being would have the capacity to interact. That's what he looked like there. You watch him do this little shuffle, the old man shuffle. Nothing against old men. I hope to be one of them one day. But the old man shuffle where they're kind of, I don't know. Every once in a while, Joe Biden has a little spring in his step. Like uh, maybe Hunter came by and gave him a little bump or something. You know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And then other times he has the I forgot where I parked in the mall parking lot sort of way of carrying himself. Which is fine if you forgot where you parked in the mall parking lot. Maybe you went in by the Macy's and you came out by the Target and you're like, oh, wait, no, this doesn't seem right. But when you're the president of the United States, you never don't know where you are. You're never very far from people whose job it is to make sure that you are on your way to wherever you're supposed to be next, who are constantly reminding you as you go into something, this is what's about to happen. This is where you're going to be. These people will be there. You're not you're not caught off guard or you shouldn't be as president of the United States, at least in regards to where you physically are and what you're supposed to be doing. Joe Biden seems as though he's always caught off guard or very often seems as though he's caught off guard and he shuffles his way around. It's not just the turning to shake the hands that aren't there or the pointing at weird people or even when he was vice president telling the the uh, paralyzed guy in the wheelchair to stand up and wave to the crowd. Now, it's not that. It is what planet am I on? What year is it? Who am I? It is Admiral Stockdale without the sense of humor. There's, a, there's an old joke for you. 1992, Admiral Stockdale was Ross Perot's running mate. And the nobody knew who he was. I think it was Admiral John Stockdale. And his first line at the vice presidential debate was, who am I? Why am I here? Now, he'd been tortured in Vietnam, just as an aside. He'd been tortured in Vietnam, brutalized. Um, they messed up his hearing. They just brutalized this guy. And his line was not, who am I? Why am I here? Like he suddenly was jerked awake and woke up and goes, oh, my God, what the hell's going on? It was looking up here. I bet you're wondering, who am I? Why am I here? You never. The other two people, Dan Quayle and Al Gore, professional politicians. I'm just an admiral. But it got twisted by Saturday Night Live and it got butchered and he became a running joke when actually he was a, a 
an American hero, honestly. That's beside the point. Joe Biden is not an American hero. Joe Biden is an American disgrace who, this is the third time, by the way, that Joe Biden has said, we'll go to war with China over Taiwan. And the third time that, in third time since November, I believe, that the White House has had to walk back what the president has said on this particular issue. They walk it back a lot on other things. So a good rule of thumb to find out whether or not you're actually on the ball, whether or not you know what the hell is going on in your world, is your staff doesn't have to walk back what you say. Joe Biden constantly is like the mall walker back of presidents. Yeah, the president, like the president of the United States is an embarrassment. I don't understand how. I get the Democrats have to. He's their guy. So this is it. You know, you dance with the girl that brung you. But at some point, don't you have to go, wait a second. We, we can't go down with this ship. Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff the other day, was tweeting, Oh, the truth of the matter is Joe Biden is on the uptick. He's super pop. It's like, where? what planet do you live on that the president of the United States is super popular, that things are turning around for him? Democrats are wildly excited about a new poll that showed that MSNBC was touting this morning on Morning Joe. I was like, oh, man, uh, there's a, a shift in what people think about who they support Going forward, this could be a big deal. This might be the abortion bump that Democrats had been hoping for. And you look, and it was like two or three points compared to what it was before. Now, it was in the positive for them, but it was just a tiny little bump. It was well within the margin of error. You're in the margin of error. That is not a trend, one data point. And it depends on the poll. It depends on how the polling question was asked. But nope. Nope, they don't care. And you get Ron Klain out there. I hate to spoil, quote, I hate to spoil the narrative, but this poll shows Joe Biden's approval ratings moving up and solid public confidence on the two biggest problems he inherited, COVID and jobs. (laughs) Now, the polling data... Says so 69% say the economy is bad. Six, this is a CBS News poll. 69% of Americans say that polling is bad. And there's the chief of staff to the president of the United States going, this is great. This is great. 65% in this data. This is, this is the tweet that the chief of staff was highlighting, which it tells you this was the best they could do. You can't polish a turd, but you can maybe spit shine it for a second. Missed it and make it look all glistening-y. There you go. 65% say that Biden is slow to react when issues arise. (laughs) And 63% describe the state of the country as uneasy and worrying. And this is what the chief of staff is saying. Well, this is no, he's doing great. He's doing great. Solid public confidence. Solid Solid public confidence on the things he inherited. He inherited an economy in lockdown, locked down by Democrat governors. So it's not like, you know, it was a policy decision by the Biden administration. COVID. He inherited vaccines or shots, immunity boosters, whatever. He inherited a pandemic on the wane and still oversaw more deaths than his predecessor. I'm going to shut down the virus, not the economy. 
Oh, you're going to shut down the virus. Okay. How'd that work? You oversaw, under Donald Trump, 400,000 people died. And Joe Biden said when it was 200,000, that how can anybody oversee $200,000 still be 200,000 deaths, still be president of the United States? It's just wrong. Joe Biden has overseen more than 600,000 deaths. 600,000 deaths. While having not only the shots, but the uh, monoclonal antibodies, all of the little tricks of the trade, Paxlovid, the antiviral, all the various other cocktails and things like that. Donald Trump had none of that, and he did a better job if you want to play that game. I don't recommend playing that game. It's a stupid game, but this is the game that Democrats play. And yet with all that data, Ron Klain highlights down here, the bottom of this Axios story says, yes, but more respondents voiced optimism about the fight against COVID-19 and the state of jobs in their communities. More Amer Now, is more Americans than before. Not more Americans, like 51, 49. More Americans. Before it was like 20%, now it's like 23% voicing optimism. And the chief of staff is going, oh yeah, but things are going great. The two biggest problems he inherited. What about all the problems he created? You know, you can whine and complain, pat yourself on the back and call yourself a hero for all the problems you inherited and how you address them. What about the problems you created? Missing is inflation. Inflation's kind of a big deal right now. Ron Klain doesn't want to talk about that. The Biden administration doesn't want to talk about that. Nobody in government wants to talk about that. In fact, there's a, a detestable human being who is a reporter at CNN. Now, I realize I'm not narrowing the field down there at all. But there is a horrible, detestable creature named John Harwood. For some, You want to talk about what's wrong with the Republican establishment. This pile of human excrement was chosen to moderate a Republican debate back in... It was either 2012 or 2016. doesn't really matter. The fact that he was ever chosen is the problem. John Harwood is now over at CNN where he serves as a White House correspondent. He's a real scumbag. He is. He tweeted out yesterday in response to a CNN, he's got a CNN story, analysis. Why Washington can't have an honest debate about inflation? Can't have an honest debate about it. Is there a debate about inflation? We know what it is. He wrote the analysis. He writes, inflation distresses Americans for very good reason. It depletes their wallets, creates anxiety about the future, and endangers the national economy. The political conversation about inflation, however, is not very good. In fact, it's largely a charade with enough artifice to go around among all the actors involved. Republicans would be expected uh, Republicans, as would be expected, play the role of prosecutor in uh, indicating, uh, in indicting a Democratic defendant. They charge President Joe Biden with causing a singular plague of price hikes that are crushing American consumers. They mock him for having assured the country when the, fla when the problem flared last spring that inflation would be transitory. 
Those dramatic allegations have placed the GOP in a strong position for midterm gains, but on the merits, they omit lots of contradictory evidence. There it is. That's when the article shifts from, it's not even analysis, they just, they want to write an op-ed. It's not analysis. John Harwood is a reporter. He should be nowhere near analysis. He's allegedly a reporter. Instead, John uh, Harwood writes on Twitter, in Washington debate, inflation is crushing families. In real life, pandemic relief has eased the pain. Pandemic relief has eased the pain? What? Moody's economist, quote, excess savings cushioned impact even for lower income households. Households are, for the most part, in good financial shape. Now, you're sitting there and you're going, what in the hell? He is trying to downplay the impact of inflation. And he's doing so because he's, of course, feeding his Democrat masters. But he says in real life, pandemic relief has eased the pain. The government Cutting everybody checks, he says, has eased the pain. When in reality, government cutting everybody checks has exacerbated the problem. <laughs> it's un- It's made things worse. That's how you get inflation, is printing money, cutting checks, and giving people more air. Just take some. Go ahead. Go ahead. And then the, to quote Moody's, Moody's economist, Moody's economist, excess savings cushioned impact, excess. Have you ever felt that you had excess savings? Have you ever felt that you had excess savings? Like, oh man, I was looking at my bank account the other day, man, and I got too much money in there. I don't know how that happened. I got way too much money. I got to get rid of some of that. That excess savings. Everybody's got some excess weight they got to take care of. Got some excess crap in their garage they should probably throw out. All those sorts of things. But when it comes to savings, I don't think you have excess savings. You have to actively look to find somebody dumb enough or politically hacky enough to give you a quote like that. John Harwood writes in his piece, that's because families up and down the income scale, thanks to COVID relief checks, generally still have more money than before the pandemic. In the lingo of economic analysis, quote, household balance sheets still have excess savings. (laughs) Quote, the excess saving has been enough to cushion the impact of declining real wages on spending, even for lower income households, says Moody's chief economist Mark Zandi. Quote, American households are, for the most part, in good, a, a good financial place. End quote. Everything's costing significantly more, particularly the things you desperately need to live. Housing, food, electricity, gas, all of that way through the roof. And this jackass at Moody's goes, you know what? Everybody's pretty good. Well, if you manage to, just hypothetically, if you manage to save $50,000 and uh, you're making $50,000 a year and you can get by on $50,000 a year, but thanks to inflation, you uh, your raise is eaten up and it's costing you $60,000 a year to live this year. You're not in very good shape. But are you in better shape because you have $50,000 in savings you can eat ten grand out of? I suppose technically because you're not having to run up credit card debt or default on your mortgage or anything like that. But I wouldn't say, hey, you can weather this storm. Stop whining. It's just dipping into your savings. We're only taking 20% of your savings. Why don't you shut up? Yet that's what John Harwood 
White House correspondent for CNN, would have you believe. It is a peek into what Democrats are going to do when it comes to this election cycle, ladies and gentlemen. It is one of those things where it's bizarre. It's If you've ever been dumped, especially when you're young, what do you do? The, 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 the chick you're dating just ain't into you, or the guy you're dating just isn't into you, whatever it is. And you have that conversation. that Instead of just going, well, you know, we gave it a go. What are you going to do? Had fun while it lasted or whatever. Fine. Uh, you try to convince them. No, 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 no. No, stick with it. You can work. They're telling you, look, I don't have feelings for you. Yeah, but if you stick around long enough. And, uh, no, no, I don't. I don't even like you as a person. And you're trying to convince them to to be in love with you. You might be able to convince them to not break up with you, if only so they can go home and relax. But in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, they're going to be back in the same thing because you're never going to be able to convince somebody to be with you like that, rationally. You know, I don't have any emotions for you, but rationally it makes sense because you, you, we complement each other. Well, no, you made, you made a hell of an argument for you to be friends. That's about it. It's the Democrats are out there trying to convince the American public, they don't know how good they have it. And however bad they happen to have it, the left-wing media industrial complex is going to burn an awful lot of calories trying to convince them that they actually have it better than they think. Oh, no, no. You, you have, yeah, it's costing you twice as much to fill up your tank. And yes, it's costing you 25% more to feed your family and all of that. But... You've got savings that you can cover that because, you you know, you've got a, a 5% raise and prices are up on average 8%. It's really the things you need are up more than 20%. But, uh, yeah, you can, you can survive. You're fine. You've got it better than you realize. That might be great for a good little pick-me-up when you're down. You're feeling bad about where you are. You're like, oh, geez, I, I, uh, I don't feel like I'm having a very good hair day. And your friends, no, no, you're looking great. And by the way, your teeth are amazing. And you can get a little perk up from that. But you're not really addressing the, the problem of your cowlick. You're not really addressing the problem. Some people will go, you know what? We are making ends meet, so I guess that's okay, not realizing that their 401k just lost 50% of its value, and uh, <laughs> they're going to, if it doesn't change soon, they will eat through those savings. That cushion that you've got is all well and good until you run out of cushion, because Joe ain't going to stop with the pushing. You need more cushion for the pushing from Joe, because he's going to screw us all. I just don't understand how someone like John Harwood can can do this. And when I, I wanted to mention this just because when I say John Harwood is a scumbag, it's, it's not just his bias. It certainly helps. This story from uh, the New York Post. D.C. insiders are buzzing that John Harwood, a CNBC Washington correspondent, this is from uh, 2010, and political writer for the New York Times, has split with his wife, Frankie Blackburn, and has dated Senator Maria Cantwell, Democrat of Washington. Shock of all shocks. According to well-placed sources, Harwood has kept it out of the D.C. papers by sobbing to a reporter until he agreed to kill the story. When asked repeatedly about the split, Harwood told Page Six, quote, I don't feel comfortable talking about my family life, end quote. But he did say that the crying part is absolutely not true. Senator Cantwell had no comment. Yeah, he, uh, 
did the relationship with the wealthy senator start before his marriage ended? Hmm. Don't know. You can guess. Just saying. All these people are scum. It's high school with paychecks. I just, you know, you look at somebody like John Harwin, you think, God, you're, you're just a terrible person. You're just a terrible person. And he's out there setting the agenda and, and defending the agenda of the left. And then you get Joe Biden over there. I don't, you almost have, if they weren't such scumbags, you'd almost have to feel bad for them for having to do this. But they are scumbags. And they are defending the indefensible. And they are doing everything they can to prop up somebody who, frankly, for the good of the country, needs to be sort of exposed. You know, you're not going to run Joe Biden out of office. But to make an accurate decision, the country needs to know who in the hell is in charge and whether or not the president has uh, the capacity to run the country. He sure as hell doesn't seem to. Even if, you know, it's just pick another Democrat. doesn't really matter. Instead, you get this guy over there. Now, he was asked about gas prices. And, of course, everything he's asked about gas prices in Japan and everything he's asked really everywhere, because he doesn't do interviews. He takes a couple of questions here and there. It's from left-wing press, pre-screened left-wing press. And listen to his talk. It's a very short clip here about gas prices. And there is no way, no way whatsoever to come away with any thought other than this guy simply does not give a damn about gas prices and how they're hurting American citizens. He's not talking about we're going to lower gas prices. He's talking about we need to transition and not in the the trans way. We need a transmission to wind and solar and electric cars and everything and put a sale on your car if you can't afford your gas prices. He simply doesn't give, it doesn't impact him, so he doesn't care. When it comes to the gas prices, uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that God willing, when it's over, will be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels when this is over. Well. Well, God willing, we're going through it. It's not, when it comes to gas prices, I'm going to do everything possible to lower gas prices because he's not going to do anything possible. He's not doing anything, but forget everything possible. He's not willing to do anything possible to lower gas prices. The only time he ever pretends to do anything is when there's a new round of polling data that shows he's historically unpopular. And what does he do? He says, we'll release... Gas from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. We're going to release a million barrels a day for through the summer. There you go. There's your. We'll say. And what has gas prices done in the six weeks since he announced that they've gone steadily up because it doesn't make a difference. If you go, um, your basement is flooded. I am going to help you drain it. I'm going to help you empty it, clean it out, pump it out. I've got a Dixie cup. And every third day, I'm going to run down your stairs and fill that Dixie cup up with water and then dump it down the block. Okay, well, technically, you're doing something, I suppose, theoretically. If you're, if the alternative is evaporation, and that's it. It's just evaporation. You have a sump pump down there. You didn't hire a plumber or anybody to come in and fix it. Uh, if the alternative is evaporation, I suppose you're theoretically doing something that will 
add, you might even get to a full gallon by the time the basement flood is gone that that person has removed. But it's not particularly helpful. Everything that Joe Biden has done to, quote unquote, lower the price of gasoline hasn't been particularly helpful. It's for show. You say I'm going to if you say I'm going to release a million barrels a day from the strategic petroleum reserve. That sounds impressive. A million barrels a day until you realize that we go through like 10 or 15 million barrels a day. And you go, all right, well, I mean, it's something, but it's as close to nothing as you can get. They don't want you to have the context. They don't want you to understand the full scope of things. We're making a transition away from fossil fuels. If you remember, when Barack Obama was running for president in 2008, he sat down, I believe it was with the, if I'm remembering this correctly, and I usually remember these correctly. He sat down with the uh, Philadelphia newspaper, Philadelphia or San Francisco, the editorial board. He was talking about his energy program. And he said under his plan, energy costs would necessarily skyrocket, necessarily skyrocket, not because he just was going to make horrible decisions and boy, howdy, they're just going to go berserk and it's going to cause inflation in the energy sector. It was because he wanted to impose restrictions and taxes on the industry to make fossil fuel based energy prohibitively expensive wanted to make it wildly expensive so that people would then be forced to go to put solar panels on their roofs or or a windmill in their backyard or whatever it is. That was his plan. The Democrats in Congress would never go for it. They wouldn't allow it. They didn't pass it. But his policy was essentially a precursor to the Green New Deal where we've got a price. We we can't get. See, if oil, if uh, solar worked, if putting solar panels on your roof worked, you wouldn't need to incentivize people to do it. You'd say, look, you talk to your neighbor. They put solar panels out there. Hey, Ed, how's that solar panel thing working out? It looks kind of stupid. Is it working? Yeah, you know what? My electricity bill went from $200 a month to about $17 a month. It's been great. Everybody in the neighborhood would have solar panels on their roof as quickly as they humanly possibly could. The problem is... You got a issue of, you know, the Earth's rotation. It's kind of an inconvenient truth that the sun doesn't always shine. You got overcast days. You got rainy days. And so you're never really off the grid. You can't go off the grid. You might have your costs go down a little bit, but at night you're going to be up there. And at night, let's be honest, if you're not at home, you probably don't have the air conditioning cranking when you're not at home. If you're not at home, you probably don't have every light in the house on and you're not at home. You probably don't have the TVs on and in five different rooms and so on and so forth. So you really need the electricity at night more often than during the day. Uh, At night, the sun doesn't shine. So you can spend a ton more money on a gigantic battery, a lithium ion battery. That'll be need to be changed every every pretty frequently, actually. Also, a massive fire hazard should anything break. If any oxygen gets into the lithium-ion battery, if any air gets in there, it is, uh, it's game on. Those things, you can't drown them, you can't put them. It is, and they burn hot. 
So it'll be a big problem if, if there's a defective battery or something happens that cracks the battery or something falls and hits the, whatever it is. So you can have these giant potential time bombs under your house to hold the electricity that you gathered during the day to maybe power some of your stuff at night, but then good luck sleeping. And you sit there and you go, this seems like a real big hassle. Not to mention the fact that, you know, <clears throat> it they're expensive to begin with. Solar panels ain't cheap. And people don't have that. They're already, as John Harwood reported, gleefully eating into their savings so that they're not really feeling the impacts of inflation. Well, you'll feel it really quickly if you have to drop 50 grand to retrofit your uh, your house to what Joe Biden wants you to be. If you have to drop another 40 to 60 grand on an electric vehicle because the government is saying, well, you, we're going to get rid of the internal combustion engine in automobiles in 10 years. Remember, we're supposed to be working towards something like a carbon net zero CO2 emissions by 2050 or something like that. These leftists just set these arbitrary dates for these things. We never reach them. Most people reject them and Republicans come in and kick, uh, get rid of them and then Democrats come back in and reinstate them. But it's an absolute disaster mess. Problematic. California, I think it's 2030 in California. They want every car sold or at least half the cars sold in California to be electric vehicles. Now, when it gets into the 90s in California, which happens quite a bit in the summer, especially in the Los Angeles areas, if you remember, Los Angeles used to be, a, it is a desert. It is a desert. It's just a, a, a hydrated desert. <laughs> um, they can't run their, they can't produce enough power to handle what's there now at a time when there are not a lot of electric vehicles. If you replace half the vehicles on the road with electric vehicles, that electricity has to come from somewhere. California proudly shut down its nuclear power plants. It is shutting down everything out there. In the name of the environment, they're committing suicide. That guy at the uh, Supreme Court who set himself on fire to protest on behalf of the environment and killed himself is a metaphor for California. It's a metaphor for the left. This is what they're doing. This is what they prioritize. This is what they want. And you've got the president of the United States sitting there going, well, gas prices are tough right now, but uh, if we do it right, we're going to transition out. Nobody wants to hear that you're going to transition out of it. And even if you just heard him say he wants to transition through this, on the other side will be great. Know that on the other side is you dropping a ton of money to get through the other side. It's not as you're this little caterpillar and you're going into a cocoon and then you shall be a beautiful butterfly. It's like, okay, you're the caterpillar. That cocoon is you dropping 50 to 100 grand. And then you're the beautiful butterfly in the minds of leftists. Now, good luck finding electricity to charge your electric vehicle and good luck finding electricity uh, to power your home. But when you're that beautiful butterfly, boy, howdy, you'll be able to peacock around, strut around, and uh, virtue signal to all your left-wing friends about how green you are. And meanwhile, every time you replace your battery in your car, you're dumping God knows what sort of horrible 
<laughs> horrible elements into the earth, into the water supply. The strip mining needed to look. There is no such thing as green technology. To make a solar panel, you have to rip apart the earth and do all sorts of horrible polluting things and physically damaging things. Same thing for lithium-ion batteries. You've got to strip mine the earth. Strip mine. Just rip it straight down. Tear out all the trees. Go through. And you create a pit. And then to put all those things together and to work them and to smelt them and mold them and all that, it's all kinds of awful things to the environment. But boy, howdy, when you're driving that uh, Prius down the road, don't you just feel superior to everybody else? Don't you just feel? That's one of the things that drives me nuts about this. So much of the left-wing environmental agenda is about peacocking. Straight up about peacocking. Show off who you are. Show off what you've got. And that's it. Whether or not it makes a difference, it doesn't matter. You look like you're making a difference. You get to tell everybody. If you, I don't know if you watched Bill Maher on Friday. Probably not. I watched it on Sunday while I was cooking breakfast for the kids. Um, it was. He did a thing, a new rules thing about trans kids. It's it's got some language, so I didn't feel like playing it here. They just bleep out too much of it. But he points out that you know the twenty percent of of the millennial generation of trans. How in the hell is that even possible? And you go, and if you look at the numbers, it's concentrated on the coasts. So either everywhere else in the country is somehow suppressing people, or people are sort of breeding it, encouraging it, virtue signaling it in their kids. And they're quick to give them hormone blockers and do all these sorts of other things that are horrible long term. And it's not a coincidence. It's the virtue signaling. He said it's not rare to go to a dinner party in California with a bunch of leftists where several of the participants talk about how they have a trans child. And you go, what are the odds of that? The odds are not very high. Not in reality. Like suddenly the factory started screwing up and, and mixing up the bodies. It's the same kind of thing, the virtue signaling. It is virtue signaling to have a trans child in certain circles. And now it's virtue signaling to be, quote unquote, green while being, you know, engaging in some of the worst technical polluting activities human beings can do. But this is only leftists could do this. Only liberals could pull this kind of crap. Uh, by the way, I want to uh, point out something about the... Uh, We'll get to this ridiculous. I just saw the queering of it, a queer curriculum for fourth grade. Unbelievable. But that's just the beginning of what is unbelievable. We've got the Biden administration congratulating itself, patting itself on the back. They're addressing, they're working on, they're doing the baby formula. We're on this thing. Fear not. Boy, howdy, we're on this thing. And they're congratulating themselves for getting a plane load of pallets of baby formula over here. And that's all well and good. It's all well and good. But it's not going to really address the problem. And that's the problem. They're going to give the impression that they're addressing the problem. And boy, howdy, do they desperately want to give the impression that they're addressing the problem. But they are not addressing the problem. Now, the media is playing right along with it. The media is playing right along with it. Joe Biden was tweeting, well, his account was tweeting last night that, oh, man, we're bringing in all, look at these pictures of the planes. This plane is filled with 
baby formula. Oh, great. One plane from Germany. It's really the Berlin airlift to now we're having to airlift things from Germany in order to feed American babies. Let that sink in. In Joe Biden's lifetime. But the media is, of course, doing their duty. The Associated Press. Enough infant formula to fill half a million baby bottles arrived in Indianapolis on Sunday. The first of several flights aimed at relieving a shortage that has sent parents scrambling to find enough to feed their children. Wow, a half a million baby. That sounds huge, doesn't it? Till you realize that there are millions upon millions of babies in America. Each of them will eat at least five times five bottles today. So you've got a half a million of them. So let's just say you got 10 million babies eating five bottles a day that you need 50 million bottles for that a day. The Biden administration and the media are touting half a million. Now, half a million is nothing. I'm not saying go dump it in the bay because it's not enough to solve the problem. But it is not enough to solve the problem. They do not get partial credit. You either solve a problem or you don't. And when you created the problem, you damn well better solve the problem, not just alleviate it a little bit temporarily. So if you got 50 million needed a day and you got a half a million, how much of the problem did you truly address? I would say not very much. But these people are giddy at the prospect of being able to check this one off. Just like, remember when, uh, a little over a year ago, right when the illegal alien crush at the southern border had started, Kamala Harris, oh, I'm in charge of the border. We're going to go to root causes. We're going to do root causes, root causes. She never did anything. She embarrassed herself down in Central America. She embarrassed us down in Central America, but never actually did anything. And then the story went away. The media covered it for about five days. And then it went away. It didn't stop. It just went away from the media coverage. It's still going on. In fact, we've broken records every single month in the number of illegal aliens marching across the southern border. It's just not being covered by the media because it's inconvenient. Kamala Harris doesn't talk about the border at all. She's in charge of it. She's not even talking about root causes anymore. She's just done. She's done with it. They're all done with it. The problem didn't go away. But the media can say, hey, we reported on it. Well, the same thing is true for what we're seeing with the baby formula. They haven't solved the problem. They haven't come close to solving the problem. But they can say, hey, we... We address the problem. The stories will all be, oh, big dents being made. Oh, here we go. Here's plane loads of baby formula. Oh, yay, yay, yay. Joe Biden is on the problem. And then they'll stop talking about it. Then they'll stop caring. It's going to take a while for things to get back to good. Not back to normal, but back to good. This administration doesn't have the time to wait for this good. The Democrats and the media don't have the time to wait for things to get good, get better, to get fixed. So they'll pretend that they've addressed it. You got Joe Biden saying, well, we could have acted sooner if we were mind readers just last week. And you had Ginger Goebbels and you had uh, 
Javier Becerra, all saying, we've been on this thing from the beginning. Mm, nobody, nobody did anything about it from the beginning. So now we can go back in time and see from when this stuff started. And you can see just exactly how long the Biden administration had been ignoring it. The date, November 17th, 2021. ABC News Channel 23 out in Bakersfield, California. Tweeted out this video. Well, they tweeted out uh, this. Supply chain issues are starting to impact infants as baby formula might be harder to find in stores. Hashtag baby formula shortage. One group says its members are working to ensure availability of formulas. Uh Uh-huh. A story from back in middle of November of last year? Joe Biden didn't know about anything until a week ago? Which is true? You decide. Listen to this report. Supply chain issues are starting to impact infants as baby formula might be harder to find in stores. Walgreens says the demand for infant formula is increasing nationwide. And at the same time, suppliers are struggling to restock shelves. Now, this could be a problem for some parents, as experts say it's not always easy to swap out one brand of formula for another. And that's because some babies can develop an intolerance to ingredients in specific brands. The Infant Nutrition Council of America says its members are working with distributors, retailers and state agencies on innovative ways to ensure the availability of infant formula. Now, isn't that interesting? November, middle of November of last year. The Biden administration knew about it. If not Joe Biden, he probably wasn't bothered with it. They then, in February, shut down the Abbott factory in Michigan, the single largest producer of infant formula in the country. See, begin to see a problem? They didn't do a damn thing about replacing what they'd shut down with Abbott. They didn't do a damn thing about any of this until... People started sending out on social media pictures of empty shelves. Then it started getting traction. And I bet it wasn't even really the picture of the empty shelves. I bet it was there are young reporters who are having kids who couldn't find the formula. Once it begins impacting journalists, they suddenly become interested in a problem. It's weird how that works. Otherwise, it's just a great unwashed loser lunatics out there. They're gross. They don't matter. They don't count. But the Biden administration says they're on it. They're bringing over plane loads. Plane loads won't cut it. One cargo plane, it can hold quite a bit. As I said, half a million bottles. A country that needs millions upon millions of bottles every single day. But they'll go box checked, problem solved, moving on. Because they're terrible, terrible, terrible creatures. Just... I'd be remiss if I don't say something about this and it blows up and it's a huge story. But if I do say something, you sit there and you go, how much attention should you pay to this thing? And I don't know the right amount of attention to pay to this thing. So I'll pay a little bit of attention to this as the uh, the monkeypox, right? A pox on all their houses. Monkeypox is going around. They're wondering, is it spread through sex? Is it spread? How is this spread? It's spreading everywhere. Well, just don't have sex with monkeys and you'll probably be fine, right? And that the way it goes? And that, well, that, was the, that, I think, was the story when I was a kid about how AIDS came to be, right? Somebody had sex with a monkey and there you go. 
don't have sex with monkeys, first of all. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know, well, I know that it's true not to have sex with monkeys. I don't know if it's true about AIDS coming there. I know that's a story I heard. But then what's amazing is that that story was not like disseminated through the media as far as I know. It's a testament to the world and the ability to spread disinformation or information even in a world before the Internet. Because there's just stuff like Mikey died. Well, or it was either Mikey or Alfonso Ribera at various points all died because they took pop rocks and drank some Coke. And somehow they died because of the chemical reaction between the Coca-Cola and the pop rocks. And then there was, of course, the, uh, well, two of them, I guess, the uh, Richard Gere gerbil story. I don't recommend you go down to the the deep web looking that one up or the Rod Stewart story, which long before the Internet, long before my, that one survives to this day about Rod. I can't even tell you what it is. And if you're you were alive in the 80s at all, you know what the Rod Stewart story is. About why he had to have his stomach pumped It's a total bogus thing. But it, you grew up in Michigan, you heard that story. You grew up in California, you heard that story. You grew up in Georgia, you heard that. You grew up on Mars, you heard that story. There was no internet then, but somehow everybody heard that story. This thing get around. So yeah, let's let's get around. Don't sleep with monkeys, and we'll see if uh, that's where monkeypox came from. Probably not, I'm guessing. But at least monkeypox is not uh, doesn't appear to be fatal. It's been in human beings in the past, and we'll see there are lockdowns and things like that because of monkeypox, and they're discovering monkeypox in New York, of course, and Florida, of course. Those are big hubs for traveling internationally. So keep your eye out for monkeypox. By the way, just since we're talking about various diseases and whatnot, since the left will bring back... COVID lockdowns. They're already sort of hinting about that. They want to, in some places, they're bringing back mask mandates. And other, I tell you, it's weird because I've gone out here in Maryland in Montgomery County last week and in Frederick County last week. Montgomery County is a lot like California, it's a lot like San Francisco. And Frederick County is a lot like Florida. And you go to a Target in Montgomery County and everybody's masked up. Everybody's covered up. Everybody's taken care. Not everybody, but a lot of people are. It's not, I don't think it was required. Nobody said anything if it was. But you just see a lot of people with masks on. And then you go to Frederick County, red Frederick County, and it's nothing. There's nobody there. Nobody's got anything. And you go, that's a huge huge difference what's going they by the way they border each other if you don't know the area they border each other like what the hell is going on um well you can look at the numbers see what's going on it's just a level of paranoia and trust in the media and trust in the government authorities president fauci has probably a haloed eight by ten glossy photograph on kitchen walls all throughout montgomery county whereas he has an eight by ten glossy photo on dartboards all throughout Frederick County. That's the difference. And now we're looking at the COVID cases in the United States. A seven-day rolling average again. You can tell, by the way, a good indication as to whether or not you should be concerned at all 
is how much government is reporting, right? A year ago, two years ago, it was every single day from every state we're getting numbers. Every day we're getting new numbers. Every single day. The more information, the better. We need it now. You get once a week in some states. You get once every two weeks in others. You're not getting regular information. The states simply aren't gathering that information. So that should be a pretty good indication that things are getting better, right? Well, not number of cases. A year ago, the seven-day rolling average number of cases was 25,646. This year, it is 110,387. That does not count the people testing at home. A year ago, there were tests at home, but they weren't as easy to get. Now you walk into a CVS and they're piled up everywhere and they're giving them to you. Please, I couldn't help but notice you side-eyed the stack of tests. Take them. Get them out of here. But with that discrepancy, four plus times more cases, a seven-day rolling average this year than last year, the seven-day rolling death average a year ago was 578. Low, sad, each one of them. But this year is 318, less, almost half less. So that's good. Five plus times the number of cases, four plus times the number of cases, and half the number of deaths. Remember that when they come to you and they tell you, get your booster shot, get your second shot, get your this, get your that. In fact, this morning, let's see if I can find this because this annoyed me, especially now that we have a kid that's five years old and they, I'm sure the phone calls are going to start about, you know, you should get your child vaccinated. They're five years old. Get your child vaccinated. They're five years old. It's safe for them. They don't know a damn thing about whether and what's safe or what isn't. But now you've got Pfizer going off and saying, well, and this is from the Wall Street Journal, three doses of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine generated a strong immune response and were 80% effective in children six months to five years, according to the company and its partner, BioNTech. Let that sink in. 80% effective. Remember when these things were introduced? What were we told? These are between 90 and 95% effective. These things are between 90 and 95% effective. Let's get everybody the shot and then we will end this pandemic. What's weird to me about this is how the left is still trying to manage to blame people who haven't gotten the shot for the fact that this isn't over yet. Technically, it isn't over. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's over. And so hopefully it stays that way. But they, the left needs it. They desperately need it. They want this thing to come back. They need this thing to come back. You want them on that wall. You need them on that wall. So they're trying to keep it alive. More and more cases, more and more cases. I don't, I don't think anybody cares if there are more and more cases, if there aren't more and more deaths. Am I right about I think I'm right about that. If the deaths continue to go down... Let's hope and pray that they do. But if the deaths continue to go down and you got to suffer a cold for a couple of days or a bad, whatever it is, but you don't die, I think everybody would take that trade off. And I don't think, well, there'll be some people who will go down. You still see people wearing, I was, I forget where I was, but there was some place where all the cashiers were wearing gloves. There were like three of them, but they were all wearing gloves. 
You're like, what the hell? Are you wearing rubber gloves, latex gloves and masks, and a couple of them had goggles on. And I'm thinking, did somebody on the staff test positive? Like, what the hell is going on here? But they're free to do it. I didn't go, you mutant, you weirdo, what's wrong with you? I, I'm not that type of person. If that's what you want to do, if you want to wear a scuba helmet your whole life, knock yourself out. You want to be Travolta in the plastic bubble, go to town. It's just not how I want to live. It's not how I choose to live. Also, I choose not to have Pfizer and BioNTech experimenting on my children by injecting them with God knows what. But I'm old fashioned that way. All right. I got to get to this Stacey Abrams audio because it's um, I find it amusing. (laughs) Why would you want to run to lead a state? That you don't like, that you just now. I guess you could make an argument that you want to. I want to lead this state because I know that there are better days ahead. But nobody ever gets ahead by going. God, this place sucks. This place is terrible. This place is horrible. And they go, well, wait a second. No, no, no. Things are terrible. Nobody goes. Wow, that person really inspired me. I've got to. I've got to vote for them. So I've got secret audio that was recorded surreptitiously of Stacey Abrams at a fundraiser where it's a little hard to understand, but she is talking about, well, you'll figure it out. I'm a boogie. Kili Kalia Guga. Wata Wonky Chisa Crispa Grido. Oh, I'm sorry. That was not my bad. My, I, I make this mistake. That was Job of the Hut. It's, you know, I saw the video and I first thought that's Jabba, but then I listened to it and said, man, that could be Stacy. But then no, no, it turns out that was Jabba. But I did have audio. And this, by the way, this audio is telling and it's telling about Democrats because this is how they work. They will talk like this in private. They tell the truth when they think only other Democrats are listening. She does not like Georgia. She wants to lead it. She doesn't like, I don't think she likes this. I don't think any Democrat really likes this country because why else would you want to fundamentally transform it? But listen to Stacey Abrams. It's a little, it's it's surreptitiously recorded, I imagine. Most of these things, there's like a cell phone in a purse or a pocket or something. But you can hear what she's saying. I am tired of hearing about being the best state in the country to do business, but we are the worst state in the country to live. I am tired of hearing about how we're the best state in the country to do business when we are the worst state in the country to live. Why? How? Where? What do you... She doesn't say. They never say. They simply make all these declarations. The country is horribly, horribly racist and sexist and misogynistic and Islamophobic and transphobic and all these horrible sorts of phobics and ists and all these other things. And oh my God, it's awful. It's awful. It's awful. Well, why the hell are you still here? Why, instead of trying to become governor of Georgia, why wouldn't you be using the millions of dollars that you've made? And your charities, quote unquote, have taken in. Why don't you use them to airlift people to safety to Canada or Mexico or somewhere in the Caribbean? Get them the hell out of not only Georgia, but out of the country itself. They never do that. They never want that. They never. By the way, Democrats had control of Georgia almost uniformly until 1994. I don't think Republicans screwed it up in that amount of time. 
So what is she complaining? She doesn't know. It's weird that there is a uh, a constituency for just bitching about how awful where everybody lives is in the Democratic Party. This country's horrible. This country's ist. It's phobic. It's this. It's that. It's the other thing. And you could hear the crowd at the end there. They sort of started to uh, cheer it. Over at uh, MSNBC, they have a piece up there by a guy called Michael Cohen, not Donald Trump's attorney. This guy is a, a writer. He's a columnist for MSNBC. so He's getting paid for this. And it's uh, Ron DeSantis represents a terrifying future for America. And by 2025, it could become a reality, a terrifying future for Ron DeSantis down in Florida. No state has gained more people in the past three years than Florida. Not from overseas, but from people in the United States going, I've got to get away from where these Democrats control things. I know quite a few people who moved from California to Florida. That's a haul. California, you move if you like the area, if you need to be in the area, you move to Arizona or Nevada or something. No, they went to the other side of the country. They went, I want, I want the heat and the humidity and the threat of hurricanes. I have to get away from California. And New York, how many people, New York lost more people than any other state. And most of them went to Florida. I just hope they don't vote the way they used to vote. People are fleeing to Florida. You can tell a lot about the quality of the political leadership based upon the flow of people, right? He can tell a lot about the quality of a country by the flow of people. The Soviet bloc had to put up walls to keep people in. We have to put up walls to keep people out, at least as of now. Maybe Democrats are really trying to institute some sort of unique border security program by making this country suck. We can stop the uh, influx of illegal aliens If we make this country suck just like everywhere else in the world, maybe that's what they're doing. They just don't want to advertise it because they feel weird about it. I doubt it. That'd be too clever by half. It's actually what they're doing is costing them legal immigrants votes because they're pushing for the policies and the economics and the philosophy of what these immigrants were fleeing like, hey, boy, socialism sucks. We got to get the hell out of here and get someplace free. We're living under the boot of socialism. And you come to the United States and one political party is going, hey, you know what we're going to do is we're going to try and institute some socialism here. Wouldn't it be great to have socialism? The people who fled to the United States because they had the means rather than waiting six months to see an oncologist go, I don't want government to control my health care. Hmm. Finally today, just real quick on this thing. Maybe we'll get more into it tomorrow. Swarthmore College, sitting there in the the, uh, Journal of Critical Education Policy Studies. The headline, Queering Elementary Education, colon, a queer curriculum for the fourth grade. Yeah, fourth grade. No, they're not grooming. There's no grooming at all. What are you talking about? Don't be so paranoid, you monster. The abstract for this reads, 
This project explores the positioning of queer students and queer curriculum in schools with a specific focus on elementary education, using intersectionality as a guiding framework, along with queer theories, educational theories, and feminist theories. This project examines and critiques how queer subjectives have not been included in schools via curriculum for elementary school children, in an effort to better understand how educators have been successful. Incorporating queer topics into their classrooms. This study uses qualitative research methods, specifically semi structured interviews with teachers in New York City. The findings of this study have been used to create a 23 lesson curriculum for fourth grade teachers that investigates bodies, puberty, sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. Furthermore, The curriculum uses an intersectional lens to explore how various identities, such as race, gender, ability, sexuality, and religion, intersect to inform understandings of privilege and discrimination. Get your kids out of the schools now, as quickly as humanly possible. Pretend there's a fire in the theater and get them the hell out of the schools. We'll look into this a little bit more tomorrow because this is.、Uh, It's not surprising. It's disturbing. It's not surprising. Priorities are not、uh, your kids in education. Anyway, we're out of time for today. Have yourself a great one. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.